I don't know how I'll be able to cover both the way I want to cover both. Just such good material. Um, Jeremy, just because that's fresh on our minds, I thought I would start there, and then time permitting, Mark, we'll, we'll jump back to your, your, your helpful instructions. Um, Jeremy, I, I, I can't imagine a better place to have concluded than you did, right? With Christ coming out of the Holy of Holies to the streets with the lepers, and then outside the city, you know, and receiving all that we deserve. Uh, goodness, if, if, if there's a source of humility for any of us, it's meditating on that. So thank you for the clear exposition of the text, just down, here's, some, here's how to organize, here's some lessons for us, especially applied to pastors, so thank you for your good work in all of that. Do you guys remember, you know, in youth group, you'd have those what's your most embarrassing moment stories? I don't know if this will work, but let's try this. Can you think of times in your ministry when pride led you to do something foolish or maybe blinded you? I'm not looking for big gross confessions here, but just maybe something that would be instructive, something illustrative. When pride caused you not to hear criticism you should have heard or to not listen to somebody the way you should or maybe come on too strong trying to jog your memories, Mark. Yeah, I saw you look over to me when you said, come on too strong, sure. Um, I remember when uh, I was teaching a class at one point and a brother was asking a question. I, answer, I won't go into the, how I answered him because it was humorous, but it was wrong of me and I don't want to get a laugh out of it. Uh, I was too sharp in the way I answered him. And Brad Wheeler, God bless him, came with me to break and said, Mark, you sinned against that guy. You really need to ask his forgiveness. You need to ask the class's forgiveness lest they take you as a model in that. Because people clearly enjoyed the laughter, but it was at the person's expense. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that was wrong, and I asked for forgiveness. Great, thank you. I, I'm sure in my first pastorate, um, there was pride at work in resisting feedback on my preaching, uh, and specifically the length of the preaching. Um, LAUGHTER And it's funny because I, I, I actually agreed about the length issue, but um, because some of the persons who were raising the critique, I was self-righteously and proudly judging as, as immature and problematic in various ways. I, I was grudging and slow in reply. Be, that's the first thing that comes to mind. When I think about it's easy it. to not wow. hear criticism because you disqualify the giver of the criticism, isn't it? Yeah. Anything else? Several years ago, I had a colleague here that did something that I thought was inappropriate, and so I brought them in. I was a little angry about it, which was wrong, and so I got after them uh, pretty good, and I also had uh, their dean uh, in the meeting as well. And... Uh, he didn't say anything, but when it was over and they left, he came back, the dean, and said uh, two things. One, I don't think, think you had all the facts. And he gave me some additional information. And then he said, secondly, I just think you were really too hard. You know, you're, you're the president. He's a faculty member. You've got all the power. And I just don't think that you ministered to him. You didn't shepherd him well. And uh, he was right. 
And so uh, the next day, I invited the faculty member back. He was scared to death, and I should have told him in advance, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. But I brought him in, and I apologized and said, look, I, I was out of line. I was too hard. I, I didn't know everything, and um, I want you to forgive me. And that was good for me. Let me use that to transition to the next question. What role do confession, personal confession, corporate confession, or the Lord's Supper play in cultivating humility? What role should they play? What role can they play? Well, I at least think this, when you offend publicly, you should apologize publicly. In other words, uh, for you to, well, I offended, I'll just go to one, no, 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 if it was a public offense, then it probably require, no, not probably, it should require a public confession, uh, an act of repentance, and also the request, I think, for forgiveness. Good word. Well, the table's a place of self-examination, isn't it? Um, and so if we're instructing and giving counsel um, to the sheep and ourselves as we come to the table, it, it ought to be a place where we're thinking about our relationships, we're thinking about uh, our effect on the body and the reflection of the unity of the body. Um, and if, if that's prayerful, one hopes that that promotes a, a lowliness, uh, that promotes a humility that um, is then moving outward in concern to both confess to the Lord, but also to be sure our relationships with the brethren uh, are what they ought to be. Yeah. yeah, I find confession is just one way of continually to kill pride, right? And it was as you were talking about Christ, and I was thinking about the Lord's Supper, I just thought, I don't know how often I've thought about the Lord's Supper as a context for killing pride, but that seems to be a place where Christ is even structured into the life of the church, a place to work on pride, right? By the very thing that we're declaring and remembering and so forth. Any other thoughts on that in confession, prayers of confession, Mark? Well, I was just thinking about the supper. I mean, it's just a wonderful declaration that the church has been purchased by the blood of Christ. Um, and therefore, we are not those who purchased the church. It's just a reminder of who owns the church, and it's not us. Yeah. So it's a, it's, a hum, it's, it's a joyful thing, but it is a, it's a humbling thing. I think for any pastor who's tempted in Isaiah's strength, you know, verse 15, to think like, oh, I've done this. No, 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 no. Christ has done this. Anything, brothers, else on this? No. Jeremy, how does a senior pastor submit to, you talked about, you said three things to cultivate humility. You said um, reading the Bible, praying, submitting to the church. How does a senior pastor submit to his elders, submit to his church? That's a different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, I think with the elders, some of it has to do with how you conduct yourself when you're with the elders, uh, how, you, how you respond to uh, their feedback, if, if they're quiet, if they're more respectful of you, to, to seek it out. Um, I, I think with my staff, uh, one of the things I've, I've tried to learn how to do over the years is, is when I meet with them, just ask them, how do you, is there anything I'm doing that I need to be changing? Is there anything you're seeing in me that's concerning you, that you've been afraid to tell me? Uh, especially moving to a multicultural context, coming from a really homogeneous background, uh, a question I've been asking this last year is like, am I missing something? Like, it's obvious that I'm, you know, failing in some way, but I just can't see it because of my cultural blinders. And so I think when you ask people that, you know, they're kind of surprised that you would ask them. 
And then occasionally they say things. So just cultivating habits like that that creates an atmosphere of, of humility and, and mutual um, exhortation and rebuke. Other thoughts, brothers? How can a senior pastor, lead pastor, submit himself to the oversight of the church? You, inviting criticism. Yeah, invite criticism is one, yeah. What else? It was mentioned about, I think in the message and also you, just the opportunities that they get to critique aspects of my leadership and ministry has been helpful for me spiritually. I think it has helped develop us as elders, and I think it has been a model for the church for me to try to seek out their critique of leadership decisions and preaching, which is more regular. Um, how I've presented something and to take it hmm. has been helpful. I secondly try to turn over sections. So I lead our elders meetings, but I try to turn over sections of discussions to other men to prepare other men to lead certain discussions and to, in those meetings, shift to a participant where I am following the leadership of a person who is leading this discussion, leading us in this matter, um, and trying to model for the rest of the men uh, how to affirm and to discuss things when you're not the one in the authority. Um, I don't know how, how well I do that, but I, I am trying to do those things, and I, I think I see those things helping. Passing out authority is a good way to cultivate humility in your own life and model it. Great point. Anything else, guys, on this? Senior pastors cultivating humility. I don't know if it was Mark who mentioned it or someone mentioned it earlier, but I do think it's good to lose some votes. Mm -hmm. You know, you're having mm -hmm. conversations. You yeah, German. yeah, German you're having discussions. That. And I think it's good to, to lose those votes and, and joyfully talk about it publicly. I have seen Mark do that just on, on multiple occasions, just as a way of making light of yourself. And, and sort of talking about the distribution of authority and your joyful submission to it. Um, and so don't, don't, don't sort of gripe about it publicly and, and be kind of sarcastic and people pick up your snark. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, just sort of just gladly say, yeah, we, we talked about this thing. I was in one position. The other brothers prevailed with what seems like wisdom. And I'm joyfully supporting and representing that as our decision. Uh, I think that's a good thing. And I think it strengthens... The, the, the leadership and the credibility of those you're serving with as well. I remember how one elder on our board, Claude, was opposed to something that I was promoting. It eventually passed, and months later, Claude came out and talked strongly about how the position he was against was the right position, and how he had grown watching that and listening to the other elders. A super encouraging example of admitting he was wrong. Um, are, are you saying you were right? It's good of you to draw that out, as a matter of fact. <laughs> now, that was about Klon, but thank you for making it about me. Here to serve, brother. Here to serve. <laughs> um, 
something that was kind of hovering in the background of this, of this talk, I thought, was celebrity culture, right? And we think of, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but any quick thoughts on celebrity culture? It's something people talk about. It's something they criticize. They say it leads to pride, leads to downfall. But at the same time, you said, you know, we shouldn't, uh, we, should, we should celebrate success when God gives it. Any thoughts on pastor celebrity culture? And the example guys can use well, use poorly in this? Well, I think one of the real benefits of plurality of elders is that it can mitigate that. That's the danger of the senior pastor model. Uh, it, by its inherent structure, can promote the celebrity approach to the pastor because he's placed at the top of a pyramid and people do not have access to him in terms of holding him accountable, criticism. And so because of that, that danger is far more acute than it is if you have a plurality, a band of brothers who by the very structure that is in place have opportunity on a regular ongoing basis in love uh, and mutuality to criticize and critique one another. And when you have that, I think it keeps that uh, particular malady, and there's no question, it's a huge malady in our context here in America. Uh, because again, we so often get seduced by the culture and we start acting and thinking like it more than we realize. So again, uh, pragmatically, though I think it's biblical, but pragmatically, plurality of elders, I think Jonathan helps push back against the danger of that uh, uh, approach to thinking about uh, the pastor and the pedestal that they can inappropriately uh, be placed on. Yeah. Plurality of elders, almost like wives, they keep us from becoming proud, I think. You can say it that way. <laughs> Burke, anything on celebrity culture, HB? Well, Jonathan, you told us today that we're supposed to give short answers, and I'm not good at giving short answers. And part of the problem here is that this is, this is a widespread problem in our day, and it, it's a very complicated issue, and uh, I think it's present uh, among us. And um, so the, the answer I, I, I would want to give would probably take me 15, 20 minutes, because I, I think it's actually a sin. I think the... Um, the self-promotion, self-kingdom building, self-applause um, building, opportunism uh, that exists among so many in our day is a shame to the name of Christ. Um, and so I think it's a major issue. What are the remedies for it? The remedies for it are, are given to us by the Holy Spirit through humility, getting on our knees and repenting of it, not just talking about it, but pastors, especially older pastors, especially men who are not being the self-promoting, opportunistic, political, manipulative, maneuvering guys, the humble men, um, and most of those humble men are ordinary pastors that you've never heard of, that we would listen to them, that we would, we would go back and talk to those gentlemen who've been in ministry for 30 years and just sit, shut our mouths and listen to how they've served as ordinary pastors, uh, not trying to self-promote and to get their name out and uh, to have just the perfect look on the outside. Uh, I think it's despicable. I think it proposes different problems for the minister himself, for others who may be made jealous, and for the people. Hmm. I think there are different problems. I think it's problematic all the way around, but I think there, there are different sets of problems. 
before we turn to Mark's question, anything else, any other observations or questions you guys want to ask Jeremy from the doc? Thabiti, anything? Not so much a question. I'm just sitting here thinking. First of all, brother, I really appreciate your sermon. Thank you for handling the text so clearly and handling our hearts uh, so tenderly. Um, and so just really appreciate that. I'm, I'm still reflecting on the celebrity yeah, question uh, because I think it, I think celebrity is a cousin to something you were also helping us think about, and that's influence. Um, and they're good and right ways to think about influence. Um, and, and one of the traps of celebrity culture is the kind of promise of influence uh, and, and a sort of holding out of influence and a desiring of that uh, in what I think can be really ungodly and unhelpful, unhelpful ways. Um, and so I was just still kind of noodling on that and meditating on that. I mean, it's, I mean, the moment you want influence, then you're, you're hostage to whomever's conferring it. You know, and, and sort of one aspect of celebrity culture, you can't be a celebrity if people don't confer that on you. You can do all the self-promotion you want to, and I agree, that, that's sin. And that's why, like, you're, you're sort of teasing out the different audiences that are part of that. But it's, it's the audience that, whether they're buying the movie ticket or the, the album that, that's making somebody a celebrity, or whether they're coming to the conference to see this preacher, you know, it's the audience that finally confers that. And that's just a lot of hostage-taking, you know, in that process that just really is... Um, it is, it is reprehensible and, and dangerous and, and deadly. Mark, anything else for Jeremy? Just, I, I'm not sure why I've never preached on that passage before. That's marvelous, brother. I never have either, so that was fun. Verses, <laughs> verses 15 and 16, I mean, that's powerful. That transition. And the way you slowed down when you were saying it was perfect. Your reading was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that all? No, I already thanked him for the sermon. But I I thought your reading was was exegetical and and careful and and the intonation and the the modulation and the pacing. I think it was just a model of how to read the scripture publicly. It was beautiful. I was told by someone to practice uh, expository reading of scripture. And that that phrase helped me to think about how I'm conveying meaning even in that. So something just to work on. Yeah, I think I heard a phrase like that with uh, R.C.'s buddy, uh, Max McLean, talking about how he reads the scripture and tries to read the scripture exegetically in that way. Dan, anything else on this first talk, or the second talk, rather? Yeah, let me just reaffirm what the Beatty said. I, I teach preaching here, actually, and I tell our students, I think it's a sin to read the Bible poorly. And I'll, Jeremy did it masterfully. Mm-hmm. I think secondly, I would also say to especially our students, what an uh, excellent model of exposition, especially of a narrative text. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, I've always commended the Beatty as being one of the most pastoral expositors that I know. Jeremy was right in that line. Uh, you could tell he was on our side, pulling for us, wanting us to do well, wasn't patronizing in any kind of a way. In fact, it was quite convicting yeah. in a number of the things he said, but he had a pastoral touch to the entirety of his message. And again, I know for my own life, that's something I, I long to, to grow in and cultivate. Thank you. Amen. HB, anything on this second talk? No, I would just amen what has been said, and I was very encouraged by the message and then the, the preaching of the message where the balance of exposition and application is important to model. And um, that was helpful for me to hear. Thank you.
Burke. Uh, just briefly, um, I went up to Jeremy after his message and just gave him a hug and told him I loved him because um, you can tell he gets it and he understands it. And um, we, we just met yesterday. Um, but it's so nice to meet a genuine pastor um, who's just authentic. I, uh, I receive an email most mornings, almost every morning at about 4.30 a.m. from one of my mentors. Um, he's been a mentor of mine for 17, 18 years now. We fish together, hunt together, and uh, sends me this prayer request. And one of the passages that he has sent to me, probably more than any other over, over the years, is that passage. And then he also will typically give me the passage from Paul in 2 Corinthians on when I am, when I am weak, then I am strong. And he, he so wants to emphasize this with, that you did on until he grew strong. And uh, may, we, may we never be uh, strong in that sense in our own eyes. You know, a book that, that I read that I found really helpful, and, and because it was different, it was called Leading with a Limp. And it just talks about uh, the way that being in leadership puts on public display all your weaknesses that you could normally hide. And kind of, it just, you sort of stand naked before the, the people you lead and they see all of your flaws and, and how that's an important part of, of leadership is, are these sort of crises of um, failure as they become known and then how, how to move forward with the gospel and grace in that. So. Who wrote that? I can never remember Arthur's. Dan Allender. Dan Allender. Dan Allender. Okay. Well, thank you again, brother. Mark, thank you also for your work this morning. A number of us who have been around Mark for a while have been hearing say, him say some of these things. And we've been pushing him to write a book or write a sermon. What you got this morning was, I think, the first time you've actually kind of put all some of those ideas together and uh, in one place. So very helpful. Thank you. I, I can't think of another time I've heard somebody give that talk. And it occurred to me as you were talking, you're describing almost a different world than the one we live in, especially that illustration of the two churches in New England and New York working together about should he go here or there? Because it describes this sort of team mentality that these different churches would have. Hey, we're a part of the same team, which just too often doesn't seem to characterize the landscape these days. So I feel like what you put out before us is a, is a place we can slowly start moving towards churches in general. You know, one thing I didn't have time to put in the talk was uh, one way you can practice this with your congregation and your staff, your elders, is with people who aren't the senior pastor. So when Michael Lawrence went from us to Henson out in Portland, Oregon, yeah. or to me, when you went from us to Grand Cayman, uh, in both those cases, our elders worked with their elders directly. And I said it was kind of a good dry run for when they need to replace me. Well, it was a huge blessing to me uh, to have guys who, who knew my life uh, talking with guys who were hoping to receive my ministry and welcome me there and uh, gave me an, a, an increased sense of confidence that that's what the Lord had for us to do for that season was to be in the Cayman Islands. And so, and so when we left, you know, I, I committed to them when I first got there that if ever I had a serious thought about leaving, they would be the first to know and would know before, long before I made a decision. Uh, and so that process laid down roots that would allow us to sort of think through transitions in a healthy way eight years later. Mark, I was in a ministry context not too long ago with other pastors, and 
I was speaking to one man, and he was, describing, he was a pastor, describing all the good things that had been happening in his church and the fruit that had been coming along. And then he sort of drops into the conversation, oh, he's about to leave because he feels called to go be a missionary. And it was clear from the conversation he hadn't done anything to prepare the church. He was going to leave them surprised, but he felt very called to go be a missionary. How would you respond when people use that kind of language of calling to go do something else? And it looks like they've been neglecting what you said as a pastor's job to prepare and, well, here's this new opportunity. Clearly the Lord's opened the door. I got to go. And then they're gone. How would you respond to that? Well, like I said, I just want people to realize that we can misunderstand what God's call is. So I think very often uh, these days it seems common for a lot of evangelical Christians to think that if I have an interior sense that I should do something, I'll attribute that to God, and that is as unquestionable as something I read in the Bible. And I think we're wrong to do that. Uh, I think we need to encourage brothers and sisters to speak to us honestly, to ask us questions, because if it is the Lord's calling, it, he can see us through lots of questions. Um, but I think sometimes in, in our pride, we don't want to, to consider that carefully, and I think we should. Would you tell a guy if there is a great opportunity in front of him to go to another church, missionary opportunity? I mean, everybody looks and says, that's awesome. If he hasn't prepared his church, maybe he should say no. Sure, but you put maybe in there, so that makes it easy. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Would you say there's a good chance he should say no? Yeah, I don't know. That's the specific circumstances. I don't know. Okay. Do you remember, Mark, when, uh, when, when I, you're one of the, the people I originally shared with that I, I had this opportunity to go to Abu Dhabi, and so I, I remember coming into your hotel room, we were at a conference, and I said, Mark, Mark, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving my church, and you're like, why would you do that? And then I was like, well, it, it's to go to, to the UAE, and you went, oh, yeah, that's great, go ahead, and then that, that <laughs> <laughs> So much for that long thing I said to them, consider the Proverbs, take time to pray and think. But it really, it really helped. It helped me just to, to see both sides, like, like in that, you know. One more observation for me, and I don't hear any observations you guys have, whether on search committees or the process. My last observation is how much what you were saying depends not just on the maturity and the work of the pastor, it also depends on the maturity of the church, right? Because for them to say, no, we don't want just the best guy out there. We don't want just a resume. No, we want a godly, faithful pastor who's going to come and shepherd us, and we're going to ask other, like all the things you were telling us to do, it takes a mature congregation to recognize that. How do you help your congregation mature toward that sort of decision? Regular preaching of the Word of God, regular administration of baptism, the Lord's Supper, with implied in that discipline, love, prayer. Do you talk about transitions to your church 
10 years before you think they're going to happen? Well, brother, that's a good question. I'm not yet. I haven't given this teaching at our church, uh, even to the elders. I mean, this is the first time I've done this. Well, I mean, but you're regularly, even if you're not talking about your own transition, you're regularly talking about, here's a church that needs a pastor. You're having this conversation in slightly different contexts all the time uh, with your church. So I, I think there are saints there who actually get quite a lot of illustrative teaching um, on this issue, not because you're talking about your transition, which wouldn't be wrong or bad, but uh, because you're talking about this and your love for the church um, just around the world, all God's church. You know? Yeah, we, on, on, we have a prayer meeting on Sunday evenings, and I would say at least half the time there'll be some pastor from somewhere else who is there that I will interview briefly, and we will be praying for him and his church, you know, whether it's in Chicago or in suburbs of Maryland. And, and you... you in God's kindness, there's always a, a gaggle of young men at CHBC looking to be pastors. And, and so as you're just being brothers and sisters in the Lord, helping them think about that and pray about that, I just think that's part of the, the conversation that creates that confidence you're talking about. Yeah, would um, the gaggle please stand right now, just real quickly, the gaggle, you stand? So that's, that's the gaggle right now that's uh, there. Thank you, guys. It occurs to me that wouldn't be a bad talk for church members, though. Would not. Might, would not be a bad one. It might be helpful for church to hear a talk like that to reframe some things. But I'd want to give it to the elders first before yeah, I sure. did that. It's, it's 3.34. We want to give them a break till 4. But any last quick thoughts on Mark's talk? Burke, questions, comments? I mentioned this at lunch, how grateful I was, and you, I think, shared my feelings, how grateful I was when Mark made the point um, regarding the search committees and the role of the elders, uh, which I completely agree with. Uh, it's something we've been adamant about at St. Andrew's Chapel, uh, that the, the elders really are the search committee. The elders are the ones who have, have been entrusted with these decisions. Uh, that you begin by thanking those who have the thankless job of, of doing that very, very hard work of, of serving on a search committee. And, 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 the, and the beautiful compassion that you showed there, though making a strong statement, I think was very helpful to me. Yeah. HB? Yeah, I would agree with that statement. And I felt like the, one of the takeaways was just another reminder of how important a plurality of godly men leading is in this transition because there, without it can be this sense in which this committee feels they've got to protect the church from some guy. Or the pastor in a transition feels like he's got to protect the church from the committee making a bad decision. And it's almost a conspiracy thing of distrust. But when there's a group of men established in that church shepherding together who are leading the congregation, I feel like it diminishes some of that potential of distrust and division. It helps the church have a clearer vision about what God's will is going forward. Is I, I just appreciate that. Danny? Well, I was tweeting Mark's uh, message up a storm because uh, even though we've never talked about this at all, I was in virtual agreement with him on everything that he said. I uh, already got a little pushback from some folks that said, well, that's fine if it's uh, Mark's reformed. If you're reformed, it works this way. If you're not reformed, it doesn't. Well, first of all, plurality of elders is not a reformed, non-reformed issue. It's a biblical issue. 
So first of all, that needs to be cleared and uh, made uh, plain. Uh, secondly, maybe you don't have a plurality of elders, but I think what Mark was pushing toward or operating out of is you want spiritually mature, qualified, godly men helping you find a pastor. And that we do it the way, again, I, I've, I've seen, I've never seen a search committee made up of, of bad people. I, I haven't. I'm sure there is, there are some out there, but all the search committees I've ever talked with or dealt with, they were good people, sweet people, doing the best they could. But they weren't trained. They weren't equipped. They didn't have the proper categories really to pursue this very difficult assignment well. And that's no criticism of them. It's just simply a realization, just like you'd be a fool to ask me to serve on a search committee to find uh, a CEO for a uh, computer technology company. My gosh, I'm a knuckle-dragon Neanderthal when it comes to computers, and I peck with two fingers, and uh, I still write out everything longhand, uh, all my sermons, all my, anything I've ever written, uh, because that's all I can do. So you don't want me serving on that kind of um, search. Uh, by the same token, I don't necessarily want a CEO from a computer technology company finding my pastor. Not because he's a bad guy, he's simply not equipped, trained to do that well. And so, again, the idea that you would have a, a, a body, a band of brothers of godly men that are in a position and authorized by the church to search out the one that will lead makes sense. Let's be, the Bible does not speak one way or the other about search committees. This is a matter of Christian wisdom. And I just don't think the way we've been doing it for a long, long time has been very wise. And that would be my own thinking here. So I was very thankful for what he shared and uh, would commend it uh, highly to all who are here listening. Amen. Agreed. Thank you. Uh, you two, anything, any last words? Thabiti, Jeremy? Just want to thank you, Mark, for uh, piloting uh, your thoughts on this with us. And I hope that they make their way into a book because it's, it's fresh. It's, um, and it's ultimately trying to build the principles out of Scripture, uh, which is just, it, that's what's fresh about it and very helpful. And it doesn't have to be a long book. In fact, it'd be nice to be a short book. Be a book could be a booklet. Yeah. I, I would prefer a book. <laughs> Last word, the meeting. Yeah, I'm just uh, picking up where Danny uh, was, and I think is uh, implied in a couple of comments, and certainly in your talk. You used that metaphor about, um, you know, a, a new pastor being a cub, chewing up the furniture and growing into a lion at some point. That's a great picture, isn't it? And um, I think in that, you're giving a really helpful exhortation to congregations to be, to be patient uh, and supportive, to encourage your last point there. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think one of the things I would then say to congregations is you can hear that kind of encouragement and kind of feel affirmed in your sense that you know more than the pastor that's kind of coming in. And it could unintentionally breed a sense of, well, we're just a condescension, really. We, we're going to be patient with him till he gets it, by which you mean till he comes to where you are. Uh, and I just want to encourage congregations to think of themselves as even younger than cubs. 
uh, and, and sort of let the elders do the work of finding a godly pastor, then not only be patient, but be submissive uh, to the ones who are watching over you. Amen. Good word, brother.